Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my colleague and comrade, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg. And we are continuing in our series, uh, What or Why America is Losing Its Mind. And we are now on, Michael has told me, point nine. And since seven, we've been kind of freewheeling it a bit, I guess. Um, We've changed up the points a little bit. And at uh, my good friend's insistence, he wanted to talk about uh, something that leans on. We've been in this Logia issue for a while now. Uh, Issue number, or volume number 25-3, Holy Trinity 2016. We've kind of leaned on an article by the good doctor Jack Kilcrease and then Mike uh, led us kind of in talking through some of the key points from his article on life liberty and flourishing and Mike wanted me to hit on something I had written in that uh, journal volume as well which had to do with the Magdeburg confession Um, the title of that article which begins on page 19 in that journal we must obey God rather than man the Lutheran legacy of resistance and we're not In this episode, we're going to be looking strictly at uh, why Lutherans should resist or political resistance. But I think uh, maybe a good way to entitle it would be um, we've forgotten or we need to remember what government is for, right? I think that might be a good way to look at it. We've forgotten or we need to remember what government is for uh, and then how the church relates to that. We're going to be talking a lot of 16th century stuff. Um, the Magdeburg Confession of 1550, so the middle of the 16th century. <clears throat> and I'm rather nervous about this one because Mike mentioned it the other day, and this is kind of my primary field. <laughs> but you write a dissertation on something, you write some journal articles, and then you spend uh, six or seven years teaching a bunch of different undergrad courses and uh, working on a few different research uh, projects. And you don't remember everything quite as sharply as you used to at your dissertation <laughs> defense, right? So I'm going to try to be careful and contextualize things well and uh, avoid any big mistakes. But I, uh, as part of this, reread through the Magdeburg Confession. I have my own rough translation of that that I've done of the Latin <clears throat> and the German. Um, the German is, is very enlightening in a number of ways. Uh, I've read through a couple of my articles, and then I was skimming back through a very helpful book I would recommend to our listeners if you're interested in this. It's by a very uh, well-known historian, at least in this field, David Mark Whitford. It was published by a publishing house, which will be familiar to many of you, Concordia Publishing House, and it is entitled Tyranny and Resistance, the Magdeburg Confession in the Lutheran Tradition. And it's one of my favorite books on the topic because it is Short and sweet. You are at, let me see, page 105 when he wraps up, but it is just jam-packed as well. So I would recommend that, and I'm going to draw on some themes from that. Uh, Michael is going to remind me when we pause to go to either the free-for-all or the main topic to go to the printer where I sent my notes for him and for me, which I forgot to pick up. But we'll be talking about, um, from a Christian perspective, what is the government for? When does it overstep its bounds? What should the Christian uh, response be in those situations? And also, what is the Christian's place and role vocationally within uh, the political realm, the life of the polis? And the grand scheme of things in, or I should say the grand scheme of our 9, 10, maybe 11 Point series here is perhaps we in America have forgotten what government is for. Specifically, uh, let's say confessional Christians have sometimes, or with the label confessional Christians, have maybe lost their mooring when it comes to the relationship between um, the Christian and the state, or just the government and what its role is. Um, Left-hand kingdom sort of stuff. Right. Kind of everybody wants to be Charles V. So we're not going... And not to, enough want to be Flatius <laughs> or Luther. So we're not going to... We're, it seems out of place in this series to to all of a sudden uh, do something historically, but we believe that this is um, applicable to today. Well, and the Magdeburg Confession did influence um, the thought that led to our founding documents. So, All right. 
Before we go any further, we should remind our listeners that this show doesn't speak for our churches or church bodies or our employers, to be honest, much of the time, probably doesn't speak for us. We'll be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because while as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. And that brings us to our free-for-all, which I've promised Mike will be a quick one, which usually means it won't be, but we'll do our, our best. We are recording today. What's the day today, Michael? Uh, it is New Year's Eve, um, also known as the Circumcision of Our Lord. Which is a great festival to preach on, by the way. It is. Uh, one of Luther's best sermons. Uh, so December 31st, 2020. Okay, and so I just have two questions for you, Michael. Uh, in, in not a pandemic, any family traditions or normal things you do for New Year's Eve. And then secondly, uh, we've both lived in Central Time and Eastern Time, and you also have lived in Pacific Time. Yep. Uh, no Mountain Time for you, though, right? Uh, no. Uh, what do you do when you're not East? I'm Eastern Time, I grew up with, you watch New York. Right. Because that's your time. Did you watch New York, or did you watch all the other stuff? Or um, did you watch New York and then watch the other stuff? or uh, So anything, traditions yeah, or what you did with TV? I, you know, we didn't, I, every year's been different, you know, I, it, whether if I'm in college, maybe going to a party, um, having young children. Whether it was praying and fasting. Yeah, or whether, whether we were a young family and you just went to bed because you were so, You were tired. You were tired. Um, so, yeah, we don't, we have not. I don't think I've had I've done something two years in a row. Okay. Uh, uh, I could care less about the turning of the clock. So I and I I've never really you get watched. Get to kiss your wife. Yeah, I can do that anyway. I mean, she she'll wow. allow me to kiss me at any time. Nice. Allow me to kiss her at any time. Um, so uh, probably my wife will watch the Eastern Time Zone and call it call it a night probably. Yeah, I think I'll be watching Eastern Time Zone, too. I just grew up with that, and even when I've lived in Wisconsin, I watch New York. The other ones don't seem as good, quite No, frankly. like you could maybe do, like, I see, you know, I pay, do pay attention a little bit. New Orleans is supposed right. to be the central New Orleans time, right? Yeah. is right. You know, that that would be something, but it's just not the same. Although this year, of course, will be different because it'll be an empty, yeah. empty Times Square. Um, no, I really, I mean, I if there's one thing that I do not, I don't care for... Um, patriotic parades or uh new year's eve stuff i just don't huh. i just see i like understand. new year's eve no, i don't see new year's eve for me usually where either we were in michigan or we go back to michigan and a good new year's eve for me is uh at my parents house with the family maybe my brother and sister and his family are there and uh we all get to uh to watch the ball fall we usually have uh if there's football on we watch football but there's usually board games some scatter gories, maybe, mm. or cards. Euchre. You play euchre, Michael? You I lived know, in Michigan. You I know play how it. to play it. You I play have sheep's played head? it. I have not played Sheepshead, no. I used to play Sheepshead a little bit, but euchre, I, yeah. that's my jam. Yeah. Um, I haven't played euchre since high school. Then the ball falls, and I, uh, I'm a fan of New York. I've never yeah. got to go to Times Square, but I like Thanksgiving Day Parade in Detroit. I'm not against parades. I yeah. uh, See, I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll I'll sort of pay attention to Thanksgiving for five minutes or new or uh, Rose Bowl. Yeah. See, Detroit uh, has a big one too. They don't get enough props, but no. that's a fun one to go down to. And then, uh, and then I, I do like New Year's Eve. I get it's somewhat corny. It's really arbitrary that we decide this is when the New Year's was is. Mm-hmm. I mean, for much of history, there was no set New mm-hmm. Year. Um, but I like it. I'm gonna be a little bummed. We won't be with uh, extended family. I'm also. Probably the extended family back in Detroit's not going to happen as much anymore because the kids are getting older. Yep. Some of them, the oldest three have significant others, uh, and thank God they all are good significant others. I, they uh, seem like good kids. Um, they're normal. They seem like it, yeah. And uh, But they want to spend norm- things like this with their, their friends sure. now, 
which I understand because this used to be a big thing to do with uh, my friends as well. When I was back from college, I always get together with my high school friends um, for prayer and fasting mm-hmm. and uh, to bring in the new year. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, no set foods. But I would say normally New Year's Eve to me is a kind of like a, a pizza and then like cheese, maybe some sausage spread. Yeah. It's more like a food you can pick at throughout the day. Sure. Snacks, snacky stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I will not stay up till midnight. Even this year, when all our problems will be over now, right? Twenty twenty one is going to be. So, I, my mother sent me um, um, like a forward email, which normally when I get forward emails, I don't even. I mean, I, I try to I, avoid those. I don't too, even yeah. open them up. But this was a video about all like the good things of twenty twenty, and. There's actually some pretty significant things. Came up with a vaccine for the coronavirus. Yeah, but like um, certain climate uh, um, issues that there was some progress being made. Um, there was actually quite a quite a, like significant things that would have been a big deal. Ford Bronco for came it. back and the Ranger. You know, um, and and Two I vehicles I would like to purchase that my wife will never. Leave. <laughs> um, which is. It is kind of a bummer, and I, and I, I get that Donald Trump and the coronavirus and all that is going to capture the headlines, and rightfully so. Tiger King, that was twenty twenty, right? Oh yeah, that's great. Um, but you know, sometimes maybe the media should not, should maybe balance things out a little bit. I'm not saying like good and bad. I'm just saying maybe they get obsessed a little bit. Well, fear sells. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there's some other things that are scary as well that get put on the back burner sometimes. Like, um, I know they were they, these were headlines about you know uh, big tech being kind of uh, having to um, called before Congress some of the CEOs yeah, and stuff. And the, I like that. And I get that was a little comp. That's com- probably you're more favorable really com- to big tech than I am. I, I've noticed. No, you've kind of been defending them lately. No, I'm saying that. Um, you also have a Jeff Bezos poster in your office. I guess. <laughs> no, I do not. Um, He's like flexing with a bunch. I of- will purposely go to a books to find a book before I go to Amazon. Nice, but you can don't always get it from. I just go to Amazon, I would, but I at the same time <laughs> you feel guilty intellectually. I'm very opposed to what um, I'm doing. So, but maybe the reason why that was not a, as big a deal is because it's a complicated story, right? It's not easy. It's not easy to explain what what is a monopoly, you know, or uh, what is the threat of 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 certain uh, algorithms being used by by big tech and stuff like that. So maybe that's the reason why. But so to your point about that should be that's scarier than the pandemic to me. Oh, big tech. Yeah. Oh, now oh, I thought you were gonna. Abs- I no, thought you were gonna like absolutely. say it was a good thing. Absolutely. So. And but it's a complicated nice. story. What I'm saying is that I what bothers me about the media is not that it's left leaning or right leaning. That ju- and has always been the case. It is the way it is. I don't expect um, the media to uh, give me exactly what I want to hear. What bothers me is is the gatekeeping seems to be um, not as. Uh, I don't know how to say it's this. narrowed. Well, it's it, focus. It's not as thoughtful as it used to be. Sure. Perhaps like these stories should be bigger and you should not be obsessing over a B or C, yeah. but ultimately you're not going to walk, watch the ball drop tonight. Or because I think, foods. I think 2021 is not going to be that in the grand scheme of things is not going to be that much better than 2020. And I don't think 2020 was going to be... I was some happy New Year's things, and now you're just being a downer. I know, I'm just... You said you wanted this to be short. I'm I'm more positive about... you're bagging on the media. I'm more positive about 2020 than most people. I've noticed when you wear flannel-type shirts, Mm -hmm. you're generally more pessimistic, Mike, than when you wear wear a collar or something (laughs) fancier. (laughs) That that could be true. uh, That's cool. That's cool. Right. So we talk New Year's Eve, I guess. Sure. Right. The uh, we'll make our way into 2021. This episode will be coming out in 2021. And if we don't end this free for all, maybe 2021 before we get done with this. Yeah, and I want to do a fair amount of uh, um, kind of setting the table before we get into like the implications of stuff in this next next section. Next section. So I'm going to warn you. Some people don't like history talk. There's going to be a fair amount of history talk early on. 
If you get bored with it, just skip ahead. So we are back for our main topic. Uh, during the break, Michael and I did some positive thinking exercises, some some deep breathing. We listed off each of us things that we are uh, thankful for. Thankful for, and he seems now much more optimistic, almost euphoric. And uh, so we're going to be talking about we've forgotten what the government is for, and maybe our place with respect to it as Christians. And so here is going to be the part where I want to do some historical unpacking. So we're in the 16th century. We're in the mid-16th century. We're in the 1500s, 1546. What's a big event in Lutheranism, Mike? I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention to you. 1546. Luther dies, right? Yeah, Luther's going to die. 1547, an equally big event will be the defeat of the Schmalkaldic League uh, by Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, partly due to the betrayal of Moritz of Saxony, who was the head of Ducal Saxony. We've talked about Duke George and Luther. Duke George, earlier in Luther's life, was the head of Ducal Saxony, the elector of Saxony, electoral Saxony and Ducal Saxony. Those leaders were cousins, and Moritz, hoping to gain the electoral title and land and general um, hegemony, uh, is going to turn on the Schmalkaldic League, though he had been a member, and side with Charles V. And in 1547, the Schmalkaldic League is defeated. Mike, so I don't go on for five minutes about it. What would be your short summary of what the Schmalkaldic League was? A defensive alliance by evangelical princes. And imperial cities. Um, yes, and imperial cities, such as Nuremberg would be one, right? Would that be cities an example? Cities like that, yeah. yeah. And... Um, in a, a future, in case of a future war against specifically Charles V, that then war started by Charles. Yeah, yep. and and uh, so it's a it's important to say a defensive league, right. um, but this then, as we see with alliances throughout history, then is going to promote a Catholic league of princes in there that right. which is the Nuremberg League, which correct? though yeah. I, I believe Catholic league would be fine for the titles referred to it that way sometimes, um, and. That league, uh, and there there may be, although Nuremberg was a Protestant city, but there may be, that I, I was cramming on later stuff, so I, feel free to correct yeah. me. Um, but that Catholic league, those that Catholic alliance had been coming into shape soon after the Edict of Worms, even. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this means that Lutheran territories now don't have political military protection. Um, the Elector of Saxony, John Frederick has been taken into captivity. Originally, he was given a death sentence that is never carried out. <clears throat> he will end up losing part of his territory, including Wittenberg, his prized and um, Saxony's prized university. And he is also going to lose his electoral title. These are big deals. And Wittenberg is understandably ill at ease then, right? What do Melanchthon and others do? They've lost their prince. Um, they are now under a ruler who had undermined their prince uh, in order to gain power. What is going to be the future of Lutheranism? And so um, the elector realizes he can no longer keep waiting for the Council of Trent to solve everything. And those of you who know your history know that he's going to have to wait a bit still for the Council of Trent. He also knows uh, that in his opinion at least, um, as a defender of the Roman Catholic faith, he has waited too long to deal with the evangelical or the Lutheran or at this time also an appropriate title, Protestant um, Reformation and that movement. And he feels the need to act. 
He knows he can't just top down and force a comprehensive return to Roman Catholicism all at once. And so he is going to issue what is called the Augsburg Interim. This is the first attempt at re-Catholicizing uh, Lutheran Protestant territories. The, uh, this will, in the south of Germany, be more successful than it is in the north of Germany. Uh, especially because there are more imperial troops in the south of Germany, many of them Spanish, uh, to enforce it. You have a number of Lutheran clergy who flee, some living in the woods, some making their way north in the hope of finding protection. Um, but there's general resistance to the Augsburg Interim. Even Philip Melanchthon will speak out against the Augsburg Interim and says it goes too far. Moritz of Saxony finds himself then in a very difficult position. He has subjects, old subjects and now new subjects as well, uh, who are not thinking so highly of him mm -hmm. for having betrayed uh, his Lutheran counterparts. And, uh, and so he realizes he's going to have to be very careful with anything he implements. And he wants then implemented what a draft proposal um, that will be more moderating. He tasks his new, newly acquired at least, Wittenberg faculty with coming up with something, and they come up with what is called the Leipzig proposal, which will end up being called the Leipzig interim, so named by its opponents to identify it with what happened in Augsburg. There's a man named Matthias Flatius Illyricus. Um, Mike, since we're uh, Good Synodical Conference Lutherans, can we agree just to say Flacius? Mm -hmm. And uh, Flacius had been a friend of Melanchthon's. He had worked with him and worked for him. He was a Hebrew professor at Wittenberg. Um, he had come from Croatia. We have other episodes on him. You can look those up. Um, but he's disgusted with the compromise, uh, compromises that are being made and just the compromising spirit. And he will make his way to find refuge somewhere travels about, and he ends up in Magdeburg. Magdeburg is a northern city that has refused to receive the interim. Um, is it an imperial city? It depends who you ask. It's kind of got imperial city aspects, which it will be stripped of um, by Charles V for its resistance, but technically it was supposed to be under an archbishop who was both a religious and political ruler, but there was a long history of um, dispute about that and Magdeburg not recognizing that. Um, in Magdeburg, you also had Nicholas Amsdorf, von Amsdorf, uh, who was a longtime friend of Luther's, who had uh, been in Wittenberg with Luther, ended up a couple places, but spent most of his ministry in Magdeburg promoting the Reformation there. Magdeburg will then have the hottest printing presses in all of Europe uh, for a number of years. Um, really from like 1546 through 1550, 1551. It's publishing at a rate that no one else is, and it's publishing propaganda. That word doesn't always mean a bad thing, mm -hmm. right? Um, urging people to resist the interims, urging people to resist the re-Catholicization of, of, of Germany, and to hold fast to Luther's teachings. Um, as Charles V continues to make progress along with those with whom he was allied, Magdeburg will be put under siege, and it will be put under siege for quite some time, and yet it will hold out. And as part of that, it will uh, put out what is called the Magdeburg Confession, which is a very important document that had been overlooked for quite some time, but um, there's been some good works on it more recently. Uh, there's been some not-so-good works, too, but also some, some good ones. Um, the work I do is primarily with Flacius, and because I work with Flacius, I've done a fair amount with the Magdeburg Confession, and as I said, I have my own rough translation of it, of the Latin and the German, but I, I do most of it with the, the primary documents, the primary sources. The Magdeburg Confession is going to do three things. It's going to say, we hold to the true Lutheran teaching, and for that it's going to largely reiterate, repristinate the Augsburg Confession. It's going to say, the lesser magistrate here, right, the government here, has the right and indeed the obligation to resist the emperor in these situations, or in this situation, I should say. And then thirdly, it's going to give a warning about what happens um, 
when there is an assault on the gospel, on the rights um, of the lesser magistrate and his subjects, and and that's going to be the basic makeup of the the document. What I'd like to hit on first is uh, the political context and then the religi- relig- uh, religious context. And you can jump in here, Mike, with anything you want. But keep in mind that this is an affair that's involving the Holy Roman Empire. Germany is not the nation of Germany at this point. That's going to have to wait to the latter half of the 19th century. Bismarck and all that good stuff. Um, Germany is a collection of smaller states. Um, some of them, which are now states in the Federal Republic of the modern right German nation. The, uh, this means that the Holy Roman Empire, as we've talked about in the Winging It series, um, is not like the President of the United States. He's not the head of one cohesive country that has you know, a strong centralized federal government that then is in relationship with the governments of these states. This is a very loose confederation. Um, he, for instance, unlike the president, can't just institute a draft and all the territories have to raise soldiers. He has to draft and tax, in most instances, through the local governments. Um, this is why he has to be crowned multiple times at yes. different places. Yeah, and he's elected by the seven electors. It's not... Although it ended up kind of staying with the Habsburg for a long time, in theory it wasn't supposed to be just default a Habsburg position. Um, So you have princes, you have dukes, um, you have imperial cities. An imperial city um, was a sovereign city to a certain degree. It had its own privileges. It was considered to be under the emperor and therefore not under the The local local prince prince or duke or archbishop who was sometimes a political and religious ruler. Um, There was also a sort of constitution, right? Not like we have, not one written founding document, um, but there were basic principles established over time. And keep in mind, historically, most law was just custom, right? It was precedent of this is how we've always done it. Think of English common law. Um, They would also take things from the Justinian Code um, from much, much earlier. But there there wasn't this... uh, cohesion of founding documents like we have in uh, in America. But there were things to appeal to um, for the rights of those who ruled at various levels. So far as the religious context, we have to keep in mind um, we're not dealing with the 20th or the 21st century. First, religious diversity in America, Michael, um, we tend to think diversity is a good thing um, because it means uh, so-and-so can practice their religion, I can practice mine. Um, so we talk about diversity, pluralism. Um, built into our Constitution is that there should be free exercise of religion, no state-established religion. Uh, 16th century, what was the view of religious diversity? Um, maybe you could be Jewish. We'll tolerate someone who is Jewish. Possibly a Turk. Um, but... Um, your territory is going to be one, is going to be one, what we would call today denomination, right? For the sake of order. Yeah. For the sake of the culture, for cohesion and all of that kind of stuff. It would, it really wouldn't have been something that they would have even dreamt of early on that you would have a Catholic church on one street corner and a Baptist church on another. Yeah, so it is It is almost unthinkable leading up to this to have more than one confession of, of a faith. Uh, and it's seen as a, a danger to Christendom, which is viewed as one big thing. It's seen as a danger to the health of the society. <clears throat> the French uh, reaction to the Huguenots is especially helpful for understanding this. There's a lot of great work on the um, religious wars in France and how uh, people viewed kind of the, the body of Christ, the corpus Christiania. Christiani, <coughs> excuse me, um, and and so just simply the fact that you have people saying they have a right by conscience to hold to their confession of the faith is a newer thing, mm-hmm. um, but it's not twentieth, twenty first century developed, and so we don't want to be anachronistic here. Um, religion is public and not merely as private. It was the assumption that religion was a public thing. <coughs> It was the lens through which we saw the world. It provided the rationale for the political and economic order. 
in many ways, to use a word Mike likes and I'm not as big a fan of, it provided worldview or Weltang Shaung. Um, what a, if we think of today, and, and people will talk about religion as a private thing, what do we mean when we talk about religion as private or public? Mike, how would you describe it? So for America, uh, it's going to say it's individualistic. It's not necessarily a, uh, a corporate thing, right? It's primarily individual, and you then have the free exercise of <laughs> gathering together, right, to... Um, to, to be to be corporate, but th that that kind of individualism probably wasn't on their radar. Although right. with the Reformation, you have seeds of that, right? right. And I the idea that your religion only impacted you was not something. Oh that they no, absolutely not. Um, but but Luther saying I, I'm bound by my conscience, you know, is is the. I mean, it was always there. Seeds of what we know today as kind of being individual, which is related to the idea of of privacy. Privacy is an interesting concept because you can argue that there is no such thing as privacy because what I do affects everything that I do both public and private but we we sort of understand privacy as in the government's not allowed to go cross this boundary right. I do want us to do an episode on privacy at some point yeah, too. it's right? and and well we got to keep moving it's right. interesting stuff so the idea too of private and public is that in America we think religion needs to stay in its lane um, there was no concept of a lane religion should necessarily be in at this time that's anything like what people might talk about today. <clears throat> that brings us then to the Magdeburg Confession. Um, the Magdeburg Confession argues that the lesser magistrate has a responsibility to his subjects. And at this point, the lesser magistrate is almost in every instance a man, so I say his. Mm -hmm. There's some things the lesser magistrate, in the, the, the theology of the cross runs through the Magdeburg Confession, so does Deus Absconditus, the hidden God. The lesser magistrate has to put up with some stuff from the emperor, right? The emperor might not be hard, as hard on some vices as the lesser magistrate might want. The emperor might sometimes ask more of the lesser magistrate than he ought. Um, but the Magdeburg Confession is going to draw the line when the, the emperor is, in essence, waging war on the consciences um, of the lesser magistrate's subjects. Specifically then, uh, the lesser magistrate ought to defend um, the right of his subjects to have the gospel preached and heard, right? This is what they saw Charles V as having crossed the line in doing. So here we might say it's an attack on the free exercise of religion, I suppose, but not in a a 21st century sense. Um, but the confession is clear that the lesser magistrate and all Christians were to be patient. This was not an immediate call to arms. That they weren't to read the tea leaves or read into modern developments to say, see, God is going to use us to punish the wicked emperor and the pope. Um, to read events, in, to read a narrative into the events that might not be there. And it's very clear what it's talking about is resistance and not rebellion. This is not that Michael Berg doesn't like what the president or Congress has done and takes up arms. This is those who hold appropriate offices should resist in appropriate ways when these injustices are being done. And that's a very big difference. Um, some in modern times have, are latching onto this Magdeburg Confession and making of it something it is not. Um, this is those who hold appropriate offices should act in appropriate official ways to resist. But this is, you know, for those of you who are saying, when do we apply this? This is a huge debate right now. Um, do you uh, enact change within the system, which would be more of a liber classical liberal way and of here's thinking important about note, it? In, in the modern American setting, we have avenues for doing that. Yeah. Right, we have a structure that allows, we literally can overthrow the government every four years right. in a very peaceful way, although in 2020, I suppose that's coming into question, but um, keep in mind, I just want to, the, the, the five centuries make a big right. difference. In every two years, at least when right. it comes to the House of Representatives. <clears throat> that would be the classical liberal way. 
people fed up with liberalism. And if you if remember, we're not talking conservative liberal here uh, as your political leanings. Go back to our first lesson, liber- right. our point, liberal versus illiberal. There is a, a change in that that says you have to blow everything up and rebuild it. Um, and that, I believe, is a big threat because what do you lose when you blow everything up? So, um, and to be very sensitive, however, there are people who's going to say this this idea of a liberal, a, a, a true liberalism um, has not worked for my people for how, how many centuries. I'm not waiting any longer. I'm sensitive to that. But I'm also worried that if you throw out everything, um, you're going to have it much worse than you would imagine. And to remember vocationally, it's not everyone's vocation to take up their guns. And And we've already you've already highlighted about the 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 hidden God and the theology of the cross without that theology, because otherwise you start thinking your cause, you are the instrument of God when you might not be right. So this is. This is one of those things as we as we watch the news and people fighting each other and um, protests and all that kind of stuff. Um, this is one of those nuanced things that I think is helpful and perhaps the reason why America is losing its mind. Okay, keep going. Okay. Uh, so I, I think you've given appropriate caution, and I just wanted to do not read 20th, 1st century American governance or Western liberal governance, democracy, right, into this situation, as many are want to do right now um, because they find it politically convenient. No one so far that I know of, Mike, has, has uh, forbade you to from preaching the gospel or hearing it. No. Okay. I have not had that experience either. In fact... My church is tax exempt. Can you believe that? <laughs> that sounds crazy. Yeah. And we teach at a college at which students are expected to study the scriptures. And uh-huh. uh, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I preach and teach the gospel yeah. in my classes. And nobody, nobody gets mad at that right. to the point where I feel threatened. But the FBI did. Job come crashing in that one day right um i don't think that that was that was the fbi they may have been that was, was just, just a like couple a, students late to class <laughs> uh that may have been like uh our, our like intruder drill you know oh, okay. like arm intruder drill okay well good because i i don't want people taking this away that i i'm very nervous about how some are using the modern magdeburg confession in our day and as someone who spent about 10 years in it um, I'm very nervous about someone who works with it and is written on it being associated with what some are. Uh, let, let me let me see if you can correct me if I'm wrong. You got two extremes. Extremes. You have the Shire myth, which is Lutherans just go along. They have they're no just quietus. Quietus, and they'll do whatever. They'll even follow uh, a Catholic um, uh, mustache from Austria. Right. Right. Or you have people who are like. Um, the government once said that we should have background checks for guns. Magdeburg confession, right. start a militia. So you're you're not advocating either of these extremes and saying there is perhaps uh, a more nuanced look at this historically, and then how we should maybe in America in 2020, 2021, be looking at our government. Yes. Okay. That is correct. I'm, I'm trying to say I'm not a nut. Yeah. Right. And okay. and by the way, one more thing here, and that you had, might dispute that. By the yeah, way, but. had to do with sort of with the the classic liberalism, which says you work within the structures. The, these these Western, I, I'll use that word, Western structures are for the benefit of everybody. They have been abused. Right. Obviously, in a simple. But they world. allow for resistance they without allow rebellion. For, without we are not. There's a difference between the French Revolution and and other resistance movements um i've been hearing this a lot lately that being a moderate is and and this was always in academia up there but it's now it's getting down to my children 
that being like a centrist is to be weak and a traitor? Well, wrong, violent, even like you know you are you are silence is violence. Yeah, that kind of thing. And we love to use the word violence for everything. Oh yeah, the... and um, and I'm not that that one scares me a little bit, right? Um, that because and it gets to the partisanship that we talked about. Well, and, and again, left, right, center. Maybe those are terms that we shouldn't be using, right? What we're talking about is nuance here. We're talking about actually knowing the issues and where they come from. Is this coming from a, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, a postmodern viewpoint, or is this coming from, uh, is this coming from, uh, you pick your, you pick your, your ism or your ology, right? When we, what we mean is let's take a nuanced look at this. And there are times when you may be radical. There are times when you're going to may be conservative. Um, but uh, it's not rebellion for the sake of rebellion. And nor is just it just being in the center. It is being thoughtful about the issues. Okay, I'm done. I'm out of my realm here. You go. Okay. Here's what I want to get at, things that I think we can learn for today from the, the Magdeburg Confession. One of the... And, and really, an episode we should do, Mike, if you're writing these down. So one on privacy, one on Romans 13, if we haven't already done one. Um, the Magdeburg Confession is going to start with a quotation from Romans 13, and it's going to translate things a little bit different than Luther. But at its core, it agrees with Luther that the main role of the government is to promote or reward good and punish evil. This is what government is here for. This is what the first government... Um, the household, right, uh, was established to do as well. A civic righteousness, even yes. a, you could even call it a righteousness by law. Right. So to promote good and punish evil, uh, any parent who is in essence a lesser magistrate of a sort knows this is a big part of parenting. You give a time out if your kid draws on the wall, unless it's like a Da Vinci quality Or something work. super funny. Right. Um, you reward them when they get a good report card, and a good report card might be C's, depending on the, the student. Um, it also recognizes, at least at the core of this, and here I'm drawing somewhat on, on Whitford, and so I want to make that clear. Um, he has two lines kind of enclosed in there that I think are helpful. Politics are about people. Government, and think especially government structures, are about power, right? So the role of politics is about people. Um, the governing authorities are to be about rewarding good and punishing evil. So when the Christian thinks about politics, what the Christian should want to see happen um, as they think through life in the polis should be that they want good rewarded and evil punished. Um, connected with that um, will be church and state together will have a concern to uh, care for its citizens. And the Germans right, have always had this kind of paternal notion of government, right, that you should also care for the poor, um, you know, protect the weak, stuff like this. But government structures essentially easily become about power. In fact, government institutions are the, um, it, these buildings represent power, right? Um, and that's necessary. There has, the government has to have power to enforce uh rewarding good and punishing evil. Uh, for instance, um, right, think of the tax code. If the government didn't have the power to tax, right, and give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, uh, it couldn't give deductions for charitable giving. It loses a lot of leverage. And it couldn't um, add penalties um, for you know uh, trying to move money offshore and avoid your responsibilities to your, to your country. Um, but anytime and power, by the way, sometimes we, it's everybody's trying to grab as much power as they want. Most politics is trying to maintain the power they have. Right. Right. It's not so much that they want control, is that they are fearful of losing the control that they have. But the the danger is, and here Magdeburg is going to hit on this, is that the governing force can lose sight of the power, the polis, or the, of the people, the polis and become coercive in ways that ought not with the power, right? And here, 
um, is a legitimate fear that human beings have had since the beginning of time, but one that comes out all the time. I'm in Christ and culture. I use dystopian fiction, right? What are dystopias? It's where often the government has become totalitarian. It has become coercive in realms that ought not be, for instance, in conscience. Um, and in conscience, we could place a lot of things, but one of the primary things we would place there is religion. So the church and preachers especially have a role to play in calling out abuses of power. Abuses of power by parents in the home. Um, if a father or mother is abusive, <clears throat> um, if a husband is abusing the wife or vice versa. Um, abuses of power in the workplace. If employers are taking advantage of their employees or in the case of slavery. Um, and abuses of power in government. For instance, if the government oversteps its realm and were to, for instance, say the church cannot worship on Sundays. Um, although the church can worship any day, the church would rightly object to that. Christians have a role vocationally to exercise their offices in a way that is not unduly coercive to um, exercise their power well. Uh, we also recognize within this that there is then in the Magdeburg Confession, in a sense, a Lutheran social ethic um, that the that um, Luther recognizes and the Magdeburgers that Christians have a responsibility one to another and to their neighbor. And the state exists for neighbor. This is why Luther can say sometimes, well, maybe the, the prince isn't the greatest Christian or isn't even a Christian at all, but he can still in the secular realm, as you mentioned, Mike, in civic or civil righteousness, carry out good <clears throat> in this life. This life is penultimate. It's not the ultimate thing, but that doesn't mean it's unimportant. We are not to love anything in this world above God, but that does not mean that we ought not love things in this world. And there, maybe correct me if I'm not putting that right. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, we, we tend to fall into those dichotomies, either in either or kind of thing, right? Either either you you love God or you love this world, right? Which is not fair, right? right. I mean... I think you're right. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. You should saying. love your father and mother, but not more than Christ. Right. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't love your father and mother. Right. Right. Okay. And sometimes we get, we get, Paul can be maybe misread there. Paul's not, if you pull it completely out of context where he says, I'd, I'd rather be at home than in the body, you know, um, sometimes we take that as this place is terrible. I want to, I want to go. And even sometimes in hymns and not to pick on a hymn, but I'm always a little uncomfortable within like the, well, Fanny Crosby in general, but, um, but like a, I am but a stranger here. Yeah. Heaven is my home. <clears throat> you might be a stranger. And there's a good reminder here that it's right. not your final home, but right. at the same time, you are a citizen, right? Right. Yeah. You do have vocations here, um, that are given by God. Yeah. One way to think about that is another way we always think about it. I have to work everything for the glory of God, and therefore the opposite of that is my success or the love of my neighbor. Well, that, that's actually misusing your neighbor because you're just being nice to them to the glory of God. No, glory of God is love your neighbor. And then finally in here we get the, the role of, of religion. And uh, clearly for the Magdeburgers, from the Christian context, the primary role of religion is the proclamation of the gospel. And they spend so much time on the gospel. Um, that the gospel needs to be proclaimed. Why? Because while this world is important, it is penultimate. It's the gospel ultimately that makes um, for eternal life for people. And that this is the vital service of the church in the world. And if this service of the church in the world is uh, proscribed, is forbidden, prohibited, then the church is by definition not allowed to be church. And here is a a big problem. And not just a problem for me, because I already know the gospel, but for my neighbor as well. Um, and then also that the, the role of religion is to be salt and light. Um, the Magdeburgers say you're to reward good and punish evil. The gospel is good for the world. Christians are the most obedient subjects if you don't you know, demand that they do what God has forbidden or prohibit them from doing what God has commanded. Um, we want to be good citizens. We want to be obedient. Um, and so there is a, an aspect of Christianity that we ought to <clears throat> produce good citizens as well. Citizens who are neither primarily patriots, but also citizens 
who are also not um, by nature rebels, mm -hmm. right? Um, but somewhere in between. As far as the legacy of the confession, you mentioned Shire, and we can do an episode on Shire. His, that quote that I have in the article is one of the stupidest things anybody's ever said. <clears throat> but uh, the, um, it's often thought that it was really the Calvinists who came up with the doctrine of resistance, and that's just not absolutely not true. The Magdeburg Confession comes first. Bateson quotes it. Um, it is used by people in the Netherlands and England. It influences people who worked on our founding documents in America. And Whitford hits on this, and I really wish the book would come out. Someone needs to write it. Um, its influence on Bonhoeffer as well. Bonhoeffer is someone we have to do a few episodes on. Yeah. Because he's um, not a perfect Lutheran, but he's also not exactly fairly treated, especially in synodical conference circles. Well, right, either. and that, that's we, we, this annoys us to no end. Like, you expect somebody in 1930 Germany to which is knee deep in <laughs> historical criticism right. and to Barthianism and Boltman and right. to uh, just have this exact uh, you like know, to have our doctrine of fellowship right you know and and but then that that makes people like Herman Sasse then so unique right uh, but even with Sasse people give him a hard oh, time for sure. his earlier stuff oh yeah. my goodness I mean I I've had seminary when we were in the seminary someone you know looking their down their nose at Herman Sasse and they go. Maybe we, I don't know. If maybe we should wait. some questionable stuff about inspiration. Yeah, well, we should maybe wait a little bit. It came out of 20th century Germany. Yeah, maybe we should wait a little bit before we have our own little, maybe a little bit more wisdom before we yeah. take down somebody. But yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, we'll do some, We Bonhoeffer is on the, is the on the chalkboard. Okay. Well, good. What I want to hit on finally, and then I'm going to throw this to Mike to pick up on anything that we've mm -hmm. talked about. But... Again, the message is kind of what is government for um, and the idea being it's there to promote good and restrain evil or punish evil. Um, what is the Christian relationship with it? It's neither to withdraw, um, but nor is it to go beyond one's vocation, right? So there are times where there will be resistance, although we will want to avoid rebellion, and those are two very different things. Um, we have a vocational obligation to our neighbor, um, to speak and act against injustice. Um, but when it comes to, for instance, the type of resistance they talk about with the lesser magistrate, especially if that were military, um, that's not our calling as subjects necessarily. Um, but that we ought to be active citizens. The Magdeburg Confession is, while it might not have a section of this, right, is this is active citizenship. Um, and that Christians have not only the right to, but for the sake of their neighbor, I would say maybe even the obligation to assert their rights. Mm -hmm. Right, um, and think of Paul appealing to Caesar. Right? Um, that there are times where I, for the good of my neighbor, not for my own benefit, but for others, um, will assert my rights. Although there may be other times where I set aside a right um, because that is the appropriate thing to do <clears throat> in that situation. Yeah, and you, uh, if you have been granted these rights through the government. For your ben even if it's just for your benefit, um, then th that is a gift from God through that right. government, right? Um, now it can get a little tricky when it says, "Do I take advantage of this tax loophole?" You know, that then it becomes more about morality versus legality and stuff right. like that. But we're not talking about that. So here. let me get the last thing, and then I'm going to throw yep. it to you. Um, and and Whitford hits on this, so I'm also then borrowing from Whitford again. But it's something that we've talked about, um, and it's it's hardly original to Whitford. Um, but he hit Whitford, but he hits on the danger of the reification of government and institutions. Um, in other words, when we take a law-based approach to Christianity, which is what both the Papists and the Anabaptists did, right? And so the Anabaptist withdraws to begin his own community, or like Munzer tries to overtake mm -hmm. and completely from the roots up rebuild. Um, or the Pope who wants the, the governing authorities to b basically enforce papalism, um, there can be a danger. But that reification can also mean um, that the Christian's first allegiance ends up being to the state before to the church. Or, and I, I hate for us to keep beating this drum, to patriotism, mm -hmm. through to German ideals or American ideals, that the Christian remain always first and foremost 
a follower of Christ, um, and that we appreciate government, institutions, etc., as Michael said, as gifts of God, and do not divinize them and imbue them with properties or capabilities that ought to belong only to God himself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Magdeburg here, this will play into Magdeburg appealing to others for, for help. Um, I've said a lot. By my count, we're at almost 45 minutes or so. 54. Okay. And we might go a little bit longer with this one. That's, That's right. fine because I, I, I warned you that I was going to have to give a lot of background. Now I want you to take over anywhere you want to go yeah, with anything let me, I let hit me, on, let me especially applications. Name though. name some things that that I think apply today. Um, we've already talked about the first one. Do you work within the system or without? Magdeburg is definitely talking about w- within the system rather than blowing the whole thing down. And I think we do have a there, – there are reasons why today – it is blow the whole thing up. Some of them I think are legitimate. Like you keep promising me that there's going to be equality under the law, but I, I, you know, how long do I have to wait? And and to understand historically, the blow the whole thing up thing almost never works. And in fact, the French revolution in many ways was blow the whole thing up and didn't work. The American revolution was not blow the whole thing. The American revolution was Let's draw a ton on English common law yeah. and English thought and English institutions, but do them in a better way, hopefully. So that, that is troublesome, troublesome right now, but I, I sympathize with the actual victims. I'm not talking about made-up victims. I'm talking about legit victims. And uh, that, is, that is a failure of sin, but it's not necessarily a failure of, of the system. Um, and what ends up, I think also what comes from that is I personally am not morally righteous enough unless I'm going 100 miles per hour in this one direction for this one cause, right? So I am a person who needs to be justified in search of a cause very often. And that self-justification means that you're finally trusting yourself and not trusting God through the proper vocations, right? Which is a Romans 13 sort of thing. So full rebellion as the other way um, is problematic, although I sympathize, or at least I should probably say empathize with those who have uh, have some righteous beefs um, uh, towards uh, any system. Um, this, I think, dovetails a little bit into the idea of patriotism. We have warned over and over again that uh, this patriotism becomes sort of, can, can become a divine-like thing. And, and What's interesting about this is, think of, we, we've talked about this before. What's the difference between 1984 and Brave New World? 1984 was the government comes and is going to take away some sort of freedom. Brave New World is when we give it up ourselves, basically, right? I mean, there's more nuance to that. And so I think about uh, somebody who um, looks at... Uh, Marxism or communism, and I'm, I'm thinking about Russia 1950 through 1989, that the state became the god. It became the, the, the primary reality. It became the provider, the protector, these things that, that we would see in uh, the Christian West as ultimately from God given through whatever type government we had. Um, fascism is like this, right? And so that's a 1984 thing where a government comes and takes away your ability to trust God. You have to trust, trust the state instead. But I wonder if we, when we are American first and Christian second, that this is more of a brave new world thing, that nobody's forcing us to make America the greatest be all and end all of everything, my existence. But somehow we've made, we've, we've given up that we're doing exactly what we were so worried about. We've made it in a the vocation Cold that we weren't given. Yeah. So that's something to, to think about. So, but with that said, uh, while we are very uh, worried about uh, our parishioners when we were pastors and, and the church and, and the country as a whole, where we become patriots of America before we are um, 
Christians in the church. That's very problematic to us. At the same time, I would be equally critical of the, of the person who is fashionably anti-American. Like we, I think it's very American to be able to criticize America and say, no, we're not perfect. And no, some of our uh, economic decisions, some of our wars, some of our uh, foreign policy has been uh, not only flawed, but just flat out mistakes and, and, and bad, right? But it becomes fashionable to just be anti-patriotic. And th that border lines on the idea of being a rebel, right? And so I think to, to say, you know what, this really is the best country in the history of the world in a lot of ways, because there are ways to overthrow the government, as you said. It's, of course, it's not perfect, but would you live in any other country besides this at this time? You know, there's probably Today. maybe three or four you could think of, but are you going to go back to France and... 1485, you know, I mean, so let, let's not only people who have been blinded by their affluence can, can say that America is like the worst place that has ever existed. Right. You're not without, stop it. You're right? not, you are to have a relationship both with the magistrate, those over you and with neighbor, those next to you and any approach that that devalues the gift that is neighbor and the gift that is governing authorities becomes problematic. Now, it may be saying, governing authorities, this is wrong and this is yeah. unjust and this needs to change. And we want to be the most obedient subjects of all, but we cannot stand by while this happens. Um, for instance, the civil rights movement. And America is. at least allows that and please appreciate that even though it's not perfect. So what we mean, don't, don't call me a centrist. What I'm saying is this is nuanced where, and you yet, if I'm going to be in the middle, that's fine. I am not going to be the person who says my country is always right, right or wrong. This is my God, my, my final identity as if this world was ultimate, not penultimate. On the other hand, I am not going to walk around completely ignorant of of what I do have, right? And and not um and not completely ahistorical about uh what benefits I have right now. So that that's what I'm after right now. And if you want to call me a centrist, I think we should, I do, think a that's series, a cheap, we should do a series lazy, called Mike in the Middle. <laughs> I think that's And like cheap every issue you just take the and, centrist position. And lazy I can see both sides. I've been called a radical before. Right? I mean, I, I'm, I have certain issues where I would be on the fringe. The, uh, I accidentally clicked on. I was listening to you. Um, <laughs> as much as I was listening to you. <laughs> did you know, did you see about uh, Graham Mertz, the Wisconsin quarterback, that he broke the... Yes, that's awesome. ...from their bowl game, and then he stuck a, a tub of mayo in it to, right. to fix it? All right, we got to end this, so you wrap it up here. No, I... I um, I, we could do a number of episodes on the Magdeburg Confession and the time between Luther's death and that, really the time between that and the, and, um, the form of Concord. But hopefully, my hope is what we gave you a sense for um, is a way to properly contextualize and then look for lessons from something that happened in a vastly different social, cultural, religious, economic, political context. Um, and I hope something that grounds us um, in what, it, what Christian citizenship means, um, what we ought to look for from the government um, and promote in it. In the, as Mike has said a number of times, we are so blessed to have a say in how we are governed. Um, so to know what the state is to do and, and not to do. Um, but then also to remember that as, as Christians, we are neither to be rebels nor monastics. We don't withdraw from our obligations, um, but we also don't divinize or make ultimate the political or economic sphere to strike that balance and in that way hopefully be freed from ourselves by justification, by grace through faith, um, of benefit to our neighbor as Christ was uh, to us. Um, unless you have anything else, Mike? I'll no, I think uh, that going forward, I think 
good advice would be to, uh, when someone is being nuanced, don't lazily call them centrists. <laughs> and also... Mike in the middle. In this freedom that we exercise our freedom. Yeah. That if, they're, if everything's done for us, Wade, especially when it comes um, uh, specifically with our salvation through Christ alone, really there's nothing left to do but... Let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. One more round won't get me down.